Now with that, let us turn to our Bibles for our scripture today, John 6, verse 25 to 40. Once again, the passage for today is John 6, verse 25 to 40. And this is the word of God. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Good morning, Renewal. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. And though I know we're all in our own homes, myself included, uh, we are thankful uh, that we can continue to worship together virtually. Now, we want to personally thank everyone for their prayers as my wife and I spent the last couple of months in Korea. Uh, where Joanna was able to spend some time with family and I was able to focus a little bit uh, on some academic work. And we do hope and pray that we can see all of you very soon. Now before we go into the passage, I'd like to take some time seeking the Lord in prayer. Uh, First, for His Word to be clearly spoken into our hearts. And also, I'd like for us to pray uh, for our elder Joe Hyun, who is recovering now from his recent stem cell transplant in his fight against leukemia. Now we're praying that the new stem cells will engraft successfully without any complications in these coming weeks. And so let's pray uh, for protection, recovery, and especially no more signs of this cancer uh, to be found. So let us depend on God's mercy upon Joe and his family. So I'm going to give us a minute to pray on our own, and then I will pray for us as we go into our passage this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we can call upon you solely on the basis 
of who you are. Lord, we don't come to you with anything in our hands as if we deserve anything. Lord, all of us, we deserve the worst. But yet in your grace, we know in your character, you love us, you restore us, you heal the sick. And so we pray, according to your goodness, according to your grace and your mercy, we pray that Joe will be fully recovered, that it will be a testimony of how you are glorified in all of this. And God, even now, continue to use our brother Joe as he points people to who you are so that they too can worship you. We thank you for him and we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in his life and our lives. God, we pray that your spirit this morning will come speak to us. May these words not simply be things we just want to just think about temporarily, but we pray that your spirit will really place them into our hearts, that it will change our lives ultimately so that we can worship you day in and day out. We invite you. Come, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, again, if you're new to Renewal, we're glad that you can worship with us. My name is Luke Wu, serving as the assistant pastor here, and I have the privilege of preaching God's word for us this morning. Now, we've been studying the Gospel of John, and we've been going through it, stopping at various encounters that people have had with Jesus. And from this, our hope is to have us see that the essence of Christianity is not simply knowing things about Jesus. It's not simply going to church, but the essence of Christianity is to know Jesus intimately, personally, for yourself, and to know Him as your Savior, your Lord, and your King. So along the way, we met quite a number of people. We met Peter and Nathaniel, uh, some of Jesus' first disciples, whom Jesus knows in and out and promises to show them these great things. We met Nicodemus, a, a religious leader of Israel, and though he lived this upright life, he still needed to have this newfound life, this new birth, so that he could see Jesus for who he is. We've met the Samaritan woman, the crippled and paralyzed patients, and now recently we see Jesus interacting with these large crowds who've been following him. Now if you tuned in with us last week, uh, we studied the earlier part of this chapter when, when Jesus just performed these two great miracles. And Pastor Bill reminded us that though it says that he fed 5,000, it didn't include women and children, so probably more than that, all with five loaves of bread and two fish. Right afterwards, he walks on water across the Sea of Galilee, which isn't a small body of water. It's 15 miles long and, and 6 miles wide. And so the crowd sees these miracles, and they go across to the other side of the sea, which is where our passage today starts. And we're going to look at our passage under three headings. First, what we must know about ourselves. Second, what we must see. And thirdly, what we must do what we must know, what we must uh, see, and what we must do. So let's begin. Uh, what do we have to know about ourselves? Well, first, let's look at this huge crowd. Now, it doesn't give the exact number like before, but we can assume that at least a good number of these guys, if not all, uh, they're part of that original crowd of 5,000. So we know it's a lot of people. 
Now they're doing whatever they can to be close to this Jesus. Can you imagine a swarm of, of 5,000 plus people traveling from, from one side of the sea to the other, all to find this one man? It takes a lot of effort and devotion, and at first glance, this sounds commendable, right? It shows their devotion and their commitment in following Jesus. But we see that really isn't the case, and Jesus picks up on that. Now look at your Bibles with me here. Look in verse 25. The first thing the crowd says to Jesus in verse 25 is, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now Jesus doesn't answer this question. He's already examining their hearts. And so what does he say? Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but you ate your fill of loaves. Now this is alarming because on the outside, it looks like these crowds are, are devoted followers of Christ. Look at what they did to be with Him. But underneath their hearts, they don't want Jesus, but rather they want what Jesus can do for them. See, we can see three kinds of people in this crowd. The first are those who, who wanted to force Jesus to be their king. The Jews here, they were occupied by the Romans during this time, and, and they wanted Jesus to be their political and national leader, someone to stand up against the Romans and to give them freedom. And they're thinking if Jesus can multiply bread and fish at will, then surely he can fix all the problems that our country has, problems of poverty, impartiality, imbalances in the economic system, all of these things. They saw Jesus for the policy changes they could extract from him. We see a second group of people who simply see Jesus as, as this continual source of physical food. Now one might assume that uh, these people, they probably weren't the upper class. And you're right, they're probably uh, more the lower class, those who were in need of food. And they definitely wanted to be around someone who could continually provide them and multiply loaves of bread and fish. And now we see this third group of people, and they're the ones who just, they wanted to see another miracle. They just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, and that was a thrill. They didn't see anything like it. But you know, just like any thrill, you come back for more. And so in verse 30, they ask Jesus, Then what sign, Jesus, are you going to do again so that we may see you and believe you? Now, what work will you perform? Now, when we read this, we see that the power of the Gospel of John, we're going to see that it's, it has this power to draw us in to the story, as if we're one of the characters. We saw that in John chapter 3. We saw ourselves in Nicodemus, perhaps living this uh, lawful life, this, this righteous life, but still in need of this, this new birth. Perhaps we saw ourselves in John chapter 4, in the Samaritan woman who, who's been desperately trying to hide her, her former past life and all her guilt and shame. And so likewise, in our passage, we're going to see ourselves in the crowd, in any of these three kinds of people. Perhaps we see ourselves like the first kind, the first group of people, in the way that we may use the name of Jesus for our own agendas, whether political, social, or economic self-interest. Now, this does not mean that God is disinterested in what's going on in our nation, in our communities, and even all around the world. He most certainly is. But you see, if we ever find ourselves being content, having all of these great things, even if somehow we could have them apart from Jesus, then it reveals something about ourselves. 
it reveals that we never saw Jesus as our mighty God, wonderful counselor, this Prince of Peace, but simply a national leader. Or secondly, perhaps we can relate to these Jews in thinking that following Jesus means that he will always give you bread, meaning you'll always have a steady paycheck, a roof over your house. Your, your children will always be going to a good school. And because we think if we serve our part of the deal, that Jesus is going to fulfill his. He's going to multiply the loaves of bread in my life. But you see, if you ask the countless number of Christians, both past and present, those who were born in poverty and many who even died still in poverty, they're going to be very confused at the thought of, of that following Jesus means that you're guaranteed this physical and economic well-being. Because they very much know that the inheritance we have is not here on this earth, but the immeasurable riches in heaven stored for us. Perhaps we see ourselves in the third group of Jews who follow Jesus simply because of the miracle, this experience of something great. And perhaps you too are chasing experiences. Perhaps in the past you even had an experience with Christianity, and it was quite memorable. Perhaps it was a previous missions trip or, or a Christian camp when you were younger. But when I talk to people about their experiences with Christianity, oftentimes I get two different kinds of accounts and see if you can tell the difference. The first account goes something like this. You know, back then I remember this experience I had. I remember feeling so sad and I was so lonely, but afterwards I was so amazed at what I saw and experienced because I immediately felt free. I was no longer sad. I was happy again after seeing Jesus. Listen to this other account. Similarly, I remember feeling so sad and lonely, but having met Jesus, I saw what he did for me. And because he is always with me, he will never forsake me. I have no reason to be sad or lonely anymore. Do you see the difference between the two? Where the first is simply about the experience, simply about what I received before and after, where the latter is about the encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Because don't forget, brothers and sisters, an experience stays in the past, but an encounter with Jesus continues with you for the rest of your life. Now again, this passage is not speaking against all of these good things, such as physical food, such as all the things that God is doing in our governments and changes so that His justice, His goodness can be very present for all of us. He's not speaking against your experiences or even the miracles that He does in our lives. But it is saying that if we seek these good things, these commendable things apart from God, without our desire for, of them being anchored in Jesus, then it is just as condemnable as us seeking blatant idols. Because you see, the crowds, they came to Jesus with preconceived notions of what Jesus was to give them. They circled around Jesus physically, but in their hearts they were far from him. Instead, they wanted Jesus to circle around their universe, their wants, their desires, and that's the crux of the issue. When we follow Jesus, when we're willing to do good things and commendable things like cross over the Sea of Galilee to find Him, let me ask you, is it because we genuinely want to orbit our lives around Him? Or are we simply using Jesus to serve our agendas? And a way to check our hearts is to use this sentence, follow me. I am following God, because then I will get blank. 
or I am following Jesus because then I will be blank. And no matter who you are, this temptation creeps up on all of us. Even as a Christian, there are many times when I think to myself, you know, this morning I will read my Bible and pray because then I will have peace for the rest of the day. Or I'm going to listen to a sermon this this week because that sermon is going to help me get through the week. It's not bad, but the focus is on the wrong person. James Boyce, uh, this former pastor, he once said this, I am convinced I am convinced that in our day in American Christianity, there is this lamentable tendency to focus on human need rather than on God himself. And he goes, and I know that someone will say, well, how can that be? Isn't it true that people have needs? And the answer is yes, they do have needs. And they'll say, and isn't it true that Jesus is the answer to those needs? And the reply is yes, he is. And again, they'll say, so therefore, shouldn't we preach Jesus Christ as the answer to people's needs? And he goes again, yes, the reply is yes, we should. Well, then what's wrong? And he says this, what is wrong is that it is tragically possible to so focus on our needs that we're actually focusing on ourselves rather than on Jesus. And so we'll never get to the solutions to our problems that Jesus wants to bring. Why? Because we have these preconceived notions of what Jesus has to give me and how he must give them to me. When? Where? For me, the solution is not to be convinced how much my life will be better if I read the Bible or if I pray. The solution is is to love hearing my Savior's voice in the morning and to love responding back to him in prayer. That's the solution. And for the Jews, the solution is not to make sure that they have a way of getting free bread every day, but to see the grace and the love and the generosity of God in Jesus Christ. And this leads us to our second point, what we must see. Now, I know that this summer, many of us uh, have been limited in our road trips and vacations, but imagine with me a family driving down to Disney World. They go down I-95 and they keep on going. It's a long drive, some of you know. And during that drive, as they get closer to Orlando, uh, they see signs that tell you how much longer until Disney World. Now, believe it or not, some of these signs are actually very famous photo zones. And in fact, there's a website that ranks all of these signs uh, that lead up the, the, the entrances into Disney World. And if you've been to Disney World, uh, there's this final sign until you finally arrive. I have this picture for it. Now imagine the children in the car getting to this final sign saying, Stop the car, Dad! And they get out and they spend all their time just hanging around this sign, taking pictures, playing with the Minnie Mouse. And after a while they they go, Okay, let's go back home. How ridiculous would that be? And you and I know that this example makes no sense to us because we know that this sign, it's a pretty sign, but it's not... It's nothing compared to what Disney World has. And that's the point. That's how ridiculous it is in our passage to read how the Jews were so fixated on this sign and not to what or who the sign points to. The sign? The bread. We read earlier in verse 26 where Jesus calls them out for seeking him only because they had their fill of bread. And he also says this in that verse. You sought me 
not because you saw the signs. And what is he saying there? He's saying, you're not seeing the bread as a sign. You're seeing the bread as the actual thing. You're not seeing the feeding of the 5,000 as a sign, but you instead, you saw that as the actual and final destination. And afterwards, Jesus tries to explain to the Jews, just like how you and I would try to explain to these children, the sign is not the point. It's about what the sign points to. Look with me in verse 27 in your Bibles. It says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Jesus is saying this, This miraculous act of me feeding you with bread is ultimately about who I am. It's about me as your God, as the one who feeds you, who saves you, who cares for you. And I'm the source of all of that because I'm the one who performed this miracle. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's trying to get them to to stop being so fixated on the physical, worldly meaning of bread and all the earthly impacts of this miracle. Now, to some extent, we can understand why they're so fixated on the bread. Don't forget the times that they're in. You know, bread wasn't just this high-carb pleasure that you and I have from time to time, but for them, it was literally the staple diet and nourishment to life. But at the same time, Jesus says, bread perishes. It's temporary. It doesn't last. I'm trying to show you a a, a truer spiritual reality. How? By utilizing this miracle of me providing the bread. And after all that, after he explains to them, how does the crowd respond? And it's worth laughing over because after all of that explanation, look at verse 30. What do they say? They go, so are you going to provide us another miracle then? Now, can you imagine Jesus listening to this? If it was me, I'd do one of those sighs that parents often do. Just, And before Jesus can even respond to this, the Jews keep on going and say in verse 31, you know, our fathers, they ate manna bread back then in the wilderness, and bread, that came every day. Can you do something like that, Jesus? And yet Jesus, in his patience, says this in verse 32. It's not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father God who gives you the true bread. And the bread of God, this true bread, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. At this point, it's like one of those charade games where the answer is obviously Jesus is the true bread. Now, I don't want to down on the crowd. I mean, you and I, we have the advantage of reading this in hindsight after Jesus' death and resurrection. But after Jesus says this, where you might expect the crowd to finally get it, what do they say in verse 34? They go, so are you going to keep giving us bread? And so finally, at this point, Jesus just comes out and says it in verse 35. I am the bread of life. And this, bam, right here, clear view. This is one of the most famous uh, sayings of Jesus. Uh, It's actually the first of the seven I am sayings of Jesus, where Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, and so on. Why, are, why is it so hard for them to understand that Jesus is the true bread? And the ultimate problem, brothers and sisters, that prevents them from seeing past this sign, to see Jesus for who he is, is, is a lack of faith. Jesus says in verse 36, You've seen me and yet do not believe. Did you get that? You see me. 
but you do not believe. And those are sobering words because you and I, we see Jesus every day. Perhaps we don't realize it. Perhaps we don't have the faith to believe how involved He is in our lives. We see Him for, for every good and perfect gift that is from above. We see Him behind every act of nature, from the rising of the sun to its setting, to, to every creature under His sovereign rule and care. We see Him when we wake up in the morning. and We find that we have breath in our lungs to live yet another day. We see Him even in the gathering of our church as we worship together, even virtually, and on and on. But how often are we like the crowds in this passage where we're so fixated on the earthly, the perishable, the things that we want to see, that we refuse to believe in Jesus, refuse to believe how involved and how present He is, how often He knocks upon the door of our hearts every day to acknowledge Him and to worship Him as our King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Do you believe in Jesus, brothers? And sisters, do you believe how involved He is in your life? Do you believe that whatever you are facing in your life, ultimately, in some way, it presents you with Him? In the most difficult of struggles and helplessness, do you see how they are the very means to bring us to our knees to see Him as our healer, our helper, and our Savior? To all the blessings that we receive, even the ones we stumble upon, do you see the face of Jesus smiling behind every act of generosity in your life? The crowd couldn't see past that. They couldn't see past the earthly. They couldn't see past the physical. They couldn't see Jesus for who He is. Not because they couldn't see Him, but because they refused to believe in Him. They refused to believe that Jesus is the true bread, that God is behind it, that He's the bread of life. And we can be just like the crowd, refusing to believe that in our life, Jesus is, is before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. So then, how do we believe? Well, we believe when God draws us to Himself. Jesus says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And God has to reveal Christ to you. He has to open our eyes of faith to change our hearts from stone to flesh. And only God can initiate it. Only He can enable us to have these eyes of faith. Now, this doesn't mean that we just simply stand there idle until God just zaps faith into us. Because here's the reality, brothers and sisters. God, He is continually presenting Jesus in your life. And in all of those ways, He is drawing you to Himself. The question really is, are you receiving His invitation? Yes, we acknowledge that God, He's the one initiating it. He's drawing you to Himself. But are you responding? Have you been responding to Jesus in your life recently? You know, there's a story where there was a lost ship out in the ocean and a few survivors managed to get onto this small boat and they floated for miles and miles. But eventually, uh, they didn't know that they were uh, in this fog and they were actually sailing up the Amazon River. Now, in the distance, it saw another ship in the fog and they signaled to it and they said, Water! Water! We're out of water! We're dying for lack of water! And this ship just simply replied back, You're on a river. 
You're not in the ocean anymore. Just, just draw the bucket down and draw the water up. It's all around you. See, yes, only God can draw you to himself and give you these eyes of faith to believe in Jesus. We acknowledge that. But the good news is, he's constantly drawing you to himself every day. There's a river of water around you, a river of God's hand, and Jesus' presence behind every sign, every bread, every act of kindness, every suffering, all of it, to bring you face to face with Jesus. Will you let out your hand and drink from this living water? Eat this bread of life. Do you see Jesus doing that perhaps this morning? And if you're tuning in this morning, perhaps through our time, Jesus is speaking to you saying, stop being so fixated on the earthly. Stop being consumed with the perishable, with what you see here on earth, things that will disappoint you. Because I am what you're, what you're looking for. I am the one who will satisfy your longings. I am the one who will put an end to your worry. From our passage so far, we saw what we must know about ourselves. And now how we must see Jesus behind the sign. Now we're going to see what we must do, which is our final point. And now if we stick to this metaphor of bread, that Jesus is the true bread of life, um, it's an obvious conclusion what we must do. We must feed on Christ. And that's the final point. Now again, we're talking spiritual terms here. Don't get stuck like the crowd thinking that Jesus is speaking to his literal physical body here. And don't think uh, that the gospel writer is only talking about communion, although there are probably echoes to uh, the sacrament and communion here. But what it means to feed on Christ is how James Boyce, earlier I, I, I quoted him, he says it like this. We must believe in him. We must come to him. We must look at him. We must listen and learn from him. And all of these terms, believe, come, listen, learn, they refer to what we most naturally call faith. So ultimately, it's coming face to face with Jesus. It's not experiencing Christianity through someone else, through your spouse, but experiencing it for yourselves. Nor is it simply week in and week out just hearing about Jesus through the pastor, through the preacher, but hearing from Jesus himself as you read scripture to see what God has to say to you. It's not hearing about what God is doing in other people's lives, but to really see what God is doing in your life. It's asking questions whether you had a true sense of God's holiness. You yourself. You know, Jonathan Edwards says this, and I have this quote for us to read. Thus, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. You know, a man may have the former that knows not how honey tastes, but a man can't have the latter unless he has a true idea of the taste of honey in his mind. So there is a difference between believing that a person is beautiful and having a sense of his beauty. And likewise, we must have a sense of who Christ is, intimately, personally. And brothers and sisters, I nor any pastor or anywhere else, anyone else, we can't taste the honey of Jesus for you. 
All I can do is give you the jar of honey. I can show you what God's Word says. I can pray for you. I can genuinely want you to enjoy this honey that I and other Christians have tested. I can encourage. Heck, I can even annoy you by constantly asking, have you tried it yet? But at the end of the day, you have to taste Him. And it's one thing if you weren't able to taste Jesus because He isn't available, but I hope you see He's all around you like swimming in the Amazon River. Are you thirsty? Drink from Him. Talk to Him today. Talk with Him this week. Read His message for you in His Word. See Jesus behind all the earthly manas and bread in your life. And don't simply have an opinion about Jesus. Have a sense of who He is. And once you do, what's going to happen? You're going to see Jesus everywhere more and more. You're going to see how He had always been there this unseen hand behind all that you have and all that you own, and it's going to teach you to be dependent on Him, and it's going to reveal an ocean of God's love and His peace in your life. I was reminded of this a while back when I talked with uh, Jimmy and Agata from our church, uh, who many of you know as our missionaries who are planning on going overseas, and, and I'm calling them missionaries because in my eyes they already are. Uh, they just haven't physically left the country, but as far as I know, they started their journey as missionaries. They left their homes and jobs, and their eyes, their hearts, and their prayers are now set on this target country. And just as a quick plug, uh, plug uh, because they're missionaries, I encourage you to consider supporting them. Uh, sign up for their newsletter, newsletter email the office, uh, or check out our announcements page, and even consider uh, supporting them financially, uh, because even now I know they're raising support and as soon as COVID dies down, they're off. But back to the point of what I was sharing, I was listening to their time as they were living on this missions agency. And they're living there, uh, have been living there for this past year. And they're just amazed at how God has been providing for them, even the smallest of things. As an example, um, they frequently get groceries from a nearby Whole Foods for free. And they're sharing stories how when they were craving something or in need of something, that God would always provide even through this small, uh, small means. For example, one family, uh, they needed diapers for their son in a particular size. And guess what came free in the groceries for that week? Diapers with that exact size too. But see, they're sharing how they learned to see God in everything. How to ask Him in all things. To not just limit Him on Sundays, but in all aspects of their lives. And honestly, I think it opened up a huge part of their faith. You know, to those, to the unbelieving, to those who don't know Christ, there are a lot of coincidences in life. A lot of things that just happen. A lot of times where, when all you can say is, well, that's life. But not to those who believe. Not to those who feed on Jesus as their living bread. It's impossible to shake Him. And if you respond to everything that happens day to day of what Jesus is doing in your life, how he's knocking on your door, even during COVID, where some of you might never leave your home, you will be surprised at how much of himself he's sending your way. Now to end, I want to respond to a hypothetical question that perhaps some of you may have. The application of today's message was to believe in Jesus, to see Jesus with eyes of faith in all areas of our lives. And so in response, someone may ask, well, how is that going to help me practically? How is it going to help me solve all the problems in my life, in my community, our nation, and so forth? 
And as a result, many think that Christianity is it's only limited to the spiritual fear, sphere. And to respond, may I suggest this? It is only when you see Jesus every day that you will be able to go out into the world living as salt and light. And you can never separate faith from how we portray that faith in our lives. There was a movie a while back called Amazing Grace. It was the story of William Wilberforce, who was the leader of, of abolishing the slave trade in England. Now the movie does a great job recording his experience with God and his acceptance of the gospel. And during one of the scenes, you can see him in his garden. garden. And during this time, he's this rising and aspiring politician. But because of this newfound love for God, all he wants to do is to spend time with Jesus. You know, he spends most of his time in his backyard examining dandelions and spider webs. As you can see here, I have pictures from the movie. And as he's examining these things day in and day out, uh, his butler thinks he's crazy. And right when the butler finds him, he walks away from him. And Wilberforce says to the butler, you must think I'm crazy. And the butler, because of his job, he goes, it's none of my business, sir. And Wilberforce responds, it's God. You know, I have 10,000 engagements of state today, but I would prefer to spend the day out here getting a wet butt, studying dandelions, and marveling at bloody spider webs. And the butler goes, you found God, sir. And he responds, I think he found me. You have any idea how inconvenient that is? How idiotic it will sound? I have a political career glittering ahead of me, and in my heart, I want spider webs. And the movie goes on. But what happens in the movie is that through his encounter with God, through the spider webs, through people speaking into his life, seeing what God was doing and moving in his heart, that was what enabled him to be this political force who steered the anti-slave trade legislation through the British Parliament in, Parliament in 1807. And I love the final scene right before he delivers this final speech that delivers the legislation. You see him getting ready to go and he takes one glance at this spider web and then he goes in. C.S. Lewis said, you'll find that Christians who do the most for this present world are just the ones that thought the most of the next. They left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Aim for heaven, you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you will get neither. Brothers and sisters, is there waiting for you tomorrow and this week what seems to be worry upon worry? About what's gonna happen with your children's schooling, about COVID, your health, your finances, or does life seem like it's the same old thing without purpose and without joy? Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one who gave up his life so you can have it. He's the one who died on the cross without having his suffering quenched so that our lives could be quenched. He's the one who endured the pangs of death and the consequences of sin, the one who rose again from death's sting and promises to give you the same everlasting life that will surpass anything this world has to offer. So now, let us repent 
Repent from having our own agendas, from being so fixated on the earthly and the perishing, from trying to force Jesus to serve our agendas and to, for him to orbit around our lives, and instead, let us drink from him. Let us feed on him. And when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wondrous face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that day in and day out that we will not dismiss you, that we will see you for who you are and believe in you, to believe that things just don't happen without reason, to believe that you are providing for us, to believe that you are speaking into our lives, to believe that you are in the midst of our sufferings, to believe that you are constantly with us, constantly wanting to deepen our relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord. We've been fixated upon ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to break our chains so that we can be free to see you as the true bread of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.